John chapter 1, verse 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. And when Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. And Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Well, we are finishing a series of sermons that we're looking at the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry and Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And that allowed us to talk about a few things. We talked about identity and having a growth mindset and that whenever we have obstacles that come our way, hopefully we can think about how that's an opportunity to grow and to learn and to do new things instead of having an identity crisis. And then we talked about successors of John kind of seeing the spirit at work in Jesus and that we, could, we need to have our eyes open and look for how God is at work in other people's lives and to celebrate them and to empower them. And then we talked last week about motivation and those kind of powerful words of Jesus and that uh, the very first words of Jesus in John 1, what are you looking for? And how that motivation needs to kind of um, underlie all that we do and help, it helps keep us on track and it helps excite us and energize us for our ministry. But today we're going to talk about hope. And hope is that expectation that some desired goal can be achieved. And I thought it was interesting, I found online that the government every year releases statistics on health. Um, and so they do it kind of the percentage of adults that um, deal with different kinds of health issues or challenges. But one of the things that they assess is the amount of adults that say that they're hopeless. And so on average, one out of every 20 adults feel hopeless some of the time, and one out of every 50 adults feel hopeless all of the time. And that's not staggeringly high numbers, but that's still people going about their life feeling like they have no hope. And that number gets worse as you go into different subsets. So uh, that, that rate gets worse depending on education levels or income levels or access to health care or your racial identity or your gender. All sorts of things contribute to making that even worse. And if you are poor, the average statistics showed one out of 10 people sometimes feels hopeless and one out of 17 feels hopeless all of the time. And that, that's really sad to know how many people go through life feeling hopeless. And we're gonna talk about hope, but I do wanna note that like, if, if someone's facing extreme hopelessness, my suggestion is obviously to go and talk with a medical professional, talk to a counselor, talk to a doctor, um, because those things are, are beyond just our text and our conversation here today. 
But I think most of us struggle with something more subtle than that. And it's that everyday pessimism, where you expect that something's going to fail, that someone's going to let you down, that the, the things are just going to fall apart. And that's the kind of hopelessness that we, we tend to just wrestle with on our daily life. And that's what I think that this text um, can speak positively to, because hope is actually radical. People experience things failing all of the time, and so sometimes just having hope is a radical step. And so I'm hoping that our text today can speak to hope for us. So when this text starts out, Jesus had been with John the Baptist by the Jordan River, and he goes up towards Galilee. So he's on, on the way up to Galilee, and somewhere along the way, he meets Philip, and he invites him to come with him on that journey. And he says, follow me. And Philip does what we saw Andrew do last week. He's so excited about that experience that he invites someone else along. Strangely, though, last week, when Andrew invites Simon along, that's the only time in, in the Gospels where Peter's silent. Like, usually he's, he's running his mouth all of the time, but we didn't get any response of Peter of, of what he had to say in that moment. But today we get Nathaniel's response to that invitation, and it's a really powerful question that we're going to wrestle with today. Nathaniel asks, can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, you might wonder, what might Nathaniel have against Nazareth? Why does he have this pessimistic view of Nazareth? It was a typical Galilean-sized town of about 400 people, uh, which would have been smaller than something like Jerusalem, or even nearby Sepphoris, which was kind of a mega center that, that made murals, uh, made kind of um, they had different kind of carpentry projects. Well, Sepphoris had a theater that could seat four to 5,000 people. So that's, that's much bigger than a 400-person town of Nazareth. So maybe if Nathaniel's from the big city, maybe he feels like Nazareth is, is a small town. That what, what would God be doing in this small town? But maybe Nazareth is small to him because he's comparing it to its religious significance. Maybe if you compare Jerusalem to Nazareth, you'd wonder, well, why on earth would God move in this backwater town instead of where the temple's at? Shouldn't everything happen where Jerusalem is? And maybe it just gets down to uh, strange kind of regional rivalries where maybe Nathaniel's from another small Galilean town, uh, but he just grew up not liking Nazareth. And maybe it's like asking a Michigan State fan if anything good can come from Ann Arbor or vice versa. Uh, maybe that's just what's going on is there's a rivalry. But whatever it is, he's got a pessimism or a dismissal that anything good could come from Nazareth. But I think that we might be dismissive of his question, but we often have that same kind of dismissal where we just expect something not to happen. Um, how often are we inclined to that same mentality? Can anything good come from Jackson? For some of us, maybe more than others, you've experienced more of population decline of small amounts over time or it's that business that you loved that was thriving at one point and they had to close their doors. Or it's that really nice house that you idolized at one point and someone hasn't taken care of it and it's kind of fallen apart. And that question can actually be significant. Can anything good come out of Jackson? Maybe you might ask, can anything good come out of First Baptist Church of Jackson? Maybe you've walked in our sanctuary space 
with its kind of grandeur and size and wondered, how on earth did anybody ever fill this? How could we fill that? Or if you've made your way up through the, through the classroom space, wondered, what, what could we do to be able to fill that space again? Or you've just driven by another church and it seemed like they were doing something exciting and you're wondering, when, when could we have that? Can anything good come from First Baptist Church of Jackson? Can anything good come from others? Sometimes we've had such bad experiences where someone has, has hurt us, has abandoned us, hasn't trusted us, and so we've lost all hope that they're going to um, treat us well or that we can trust them or we can hope in them again. But maybe, maybe that question would matter and would be more significant to you if you thought about it as, can anything good come from me? Maybe someone in your life has told you that you're not something. Maybe somebody has, uh, has kind of cut you down. Maybe when you're on Facebook or Instagram and you're looking at photos of other people's lives and you see their happy snapshots, you've wondered, how could I have that? Am I ever going to have that moment? Am I just less than? Maybe uh, your clothes don't fit it the way you'd like or your health isn't what you would want it to be. Or maybe you've inherited a theology that was telling you how completely wicked you are that you thought you were worthless and couldn't ever imagine whether something good could come out of you. So I think Nathaniel's question really can resonate. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I think what's exciting about this text, a little bit like what we had last week. Remember last week, Jesus invited Andrew on a journey. And here, instead of Philip giving this kind of theology textbook answer or a philosophical argument, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He answers by inviting an experience. So uh, Philip says, come and see. You can't just hear the good news. You have to experience it. And so to really answer that question, you have to walk on this journey together. And that's a really important thing because, I don't know about you, but the tendency when you get depressed or when you get hopeless is to stay home, to isolate yourself from others, to not interact, to not say yes to an invitation. And that's not what happens here. He, he, he's invited to come and experience things, and he goes on that journey. And I want to remind us that we have those invitation points. So do you want to see anything good come out of Jackson or our church or us? We have to be able to invite people on our journey together. So that might be on a Thursday night, uh, greeting people at our personal care ministry of what is it to see gratitude and to see hope and excitement in someone's eyes over something that's, that's really not a lot. Like, it's not like... Uh, this is a massive gift to somebody, but it means something and it shows our shared hum humanity and people are excited by that community. Maybe that invitation to come and see is about uh, going and making prayer quilts or handing them off to families. Maybe it's a Bible study or a book study. Maybe it's a men's breakfast. Um, maybe it's worship services. But we have to figure out more ways to invite people to come and see, because that's where the hope is. It's not, it's not in the kind of theological treaties. And I hope that, that we know that 
it's not about attendance for the sake of numbers. It's an invitation to experience what God is doing here. And that's why it matters if, if, if people are able to be here, is because that's, that's the moment where people can see hope at work. That's the moment where they can see vulnerability and see that life matters when it's shared together. So how often can we find more ways to ask people to come and see? To Nathaniel's credit, he's not so enslaved by his helplessness that he says no. He agrees to go on the way. And so when he comes to Jesus, it's a little bit like last week. Last week, Jesus kind of gives Simon Peter this new name, a rock. And here when Nathaniel comes, Jesus pronounces this identity claim again. And he says, um, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So what do you know? Jesus says, there is something that good can, that can come from Israel. There's something good that can come from Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's just kind of confused by that, and he asks, where did you know me from? And Jesus' answer is, I saw you under the fig tree before when Philip called you. And I want to be honest that scholarship tries to give some answers to what on earth is happening here, because Nathaniel loves this answer, and he's really excited by it. But there's not really a great answer for what's happening in this text. Uh, is, it, is this text talking about Jesus having some sort of supernatural vision and, and it's like x-ray vision and it's Superman and he sees what's happening and he shouldn't be able to see what's happening? Um, is it, uh, they often talked about religious people studying under a fig tree. So is it that he knows something about his religious education, his background? We don't really know, but I think Jesus also dismisses the strangeness of Philip of Nathaniel's response here uh, in a minute. But Nathaniel's excited. Uh, and he can't help but spit out every single title he can throw out here. And he says, okay, Rabbi, Son of God, King of Israel. And he's throwing out all of this praise on Jesus. And just a few weeks ago, we read where John the Baptist said his whole ministry was to reveal Jesus to Israel. And here's someone called... Uh, a true Israelite who's proclaiming Jesus king of Israel. So we're seeing that kind of fruition of John's ministry here. And Jesus agrees that he has the content knowledge right. Okay, those titles, that's fine. But he's not sure that Nathaniel has the right reasoning for this. And so he asks him, do you believe because I told you? Or do you believe because you've experienced something? Because you will see greater things than this. Why do we believe? If you're here and you believe that ancient creed that Jesus is Lord, do you believe it because someone has told you that statement? And we can say that, kind of repeat that statement out again. Jesus is Lord. Or do you believe because you've experienced that? And that you've experienced something greater? Because those are two very different uh, ways of coming out that title. Is your faith just those content claims we make about God? Or is it rooted in our daily experience that God is transforming us and transforming those around us? Saying Jesus is Lord doesn't mean a whole lot if it's just an assertion. But it sure brings hope if it's an experience. So why do you believe? Well, Jesus asks that question, and then he turns to the wider group. He had been talking singularly to, to Nathaniel, and then he says to everybody, he says, 
Very truly, I tell you, all of you, you will see heaven opened up and angels of God are going to ascend and descend on the Son of Man. And I would want to admit that that's a little bit of a strange thing to say. Doesn't, you probably aren't expecting that in the text. You wouldn't have guessed that if you uh, had a fill in the blank. But it seems like what he's doing is referring to the Jacob's Ladder story from Genesis 28. And in that story, again, you have someone named Jacob whose name gets turned into Israel. And in this story, we have the, the true Israelite. But instead of Jesus comparing himself to Jacob, who has this dream that God is, has his angels ascending and descending in the spot, Jesus is calling himself the ladder in which the angels descend and ascend. And so he's, he's calling himself that vehicle in which uh, the kingdom of God is made present here and we become more like God's kingdom in heaven. He's that, uh, that vehicle in which transformation happens. And we're going to see the interplay between heaven and earth through him. And so, in that moment, in that transformation, in that merging of heaven and earth, transformation is happening when we follow Jesus. It's on that journey. It's on that path. There's something about following Jesus and experiencing the healing of the sick, experiencing the lifting up of the poor, experiencing the inclusion of outcasts that opens our eyes to what God is doing in us and doing around us that moves us from the autopilot of everyday life and moves us from everyday pessimism into imagining that something greater can happen and something even better is still coming. If you want hope, come and see. I've been here for four weeks. It's been a whirlwind of uh, four weeks. Um, but if you didn't know, my first day was August 6th. And that's kind of a famous day in history because if, if you were to go back 73 years, on August 6th, 1945, the world experienced devastation on a scale that you had never experienced before. Uh, it's on that date when the U.S. dropped uh, the first atomic bomb on Hiroshima. And was trying to serve the symbolic and devastating blow to bring about Japan's surrender and the end of World War II. Hundreds of thousands of lives were lost that day, some of them in the blink of an eye, some of them over time through radiation poisoning and all of the, um, the awful after effects of that moment. Two days after the bombing, um, one of the physicians that was working with the Manhattan Project, Harold Jacobson, stated, he didn't think that anything could grow in Hiroshima for at least 70 years. They thought the ground was going to be so radioactive that just, just nothing could ever grow here. And that made sense. You could understand why that would be believed. But just one month later, some red canna flowers began to sprout, less than a, about a half a mile from the epicenter of the bomb explosion. But those flowers didn't have long to survive, and they didn't make it very far because on September 17th, just a little over a month after that nuclear blast, they were hit by one of the most massive typhoons they had experienced that century. And so over 2,000 lives were lost and large segments of their city uh, felt the destruction of the floods. And so a city devastated by atomic fire 
and by hurricane floods and water should have been a place of hopelessness. But that next year, uh, life began to spring forth again. Because something interesting happened that when that typhoon, that hurricane came through, it actually dropped a bunch of non-radioactive topsoil back over the land. And it helped with life's transformation to be able to be possible again. And so the cherry, cherry trees started to bloom again. And slowly over the years, they started to plant vegetables and gardens and life grew again in Hiroshima. Today, they have a flower festival every year, lasts a few days, and it's meant to be a symbol of peace. It's meant to, to point to something greater. And over a million people visit this flower festival each year. And so life has this surprising way of, of being resilient. Even though we live in this cold, vast universe, even though life uh, survives in part because we have these trillions of stars that just are nuclear explosions happening all of the time, even though we've got these massive uh, rocks and planets and meteors flying throughout the universe, somehow life still makes its way even in the most devastating of conditions and surprises us. And so no matter what life conditions you might be going through, whatever devastating loss, whatever thing that doesn't seem like life could grow there anymore, there's still hope with God. Life can still spring forth, no matter how devastating the condition. And so, something good came out of Nazareth. That's our answer to Nathaniel. Jesus started a movement of people who lived by a new ethic. One of valuing everybody, everybody deserving dignity, everyone being equal, that it didn't matter if you were a slave or a free person or a male or a female, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, all people uh, were treated with the same dignity. Jesus transformed the world by his nonviolent resistance, his uh, transformation of the symbol of fear in a cross, that Roman symbol of fear, gets transformed into something that people find beautiful and even want to wear in jewelry. Surprising hope happens even when it looks like all else is going to fail. And so if you were to follow Jesus in that day, you were following him to see transformative moments every day, to see little glimmers of the kingdom of God at work in those moments. And so something good came out of Nazareth, but we are also invited to follow in that same path. We still get to follow him and see that at work today. Something good can come out of Jackson and is coming out of Jackson. It's exciting to see the churches, the nonprofits, the people that come together that see needs of our community and are trying to reach those needs. They're not neglecting people. They want to meet those needs. Uh, in a little over a month, we're having this downtown mural uh, festival that's celebrating the, the beauty that is and the beauty that can be of this city. We have, we're going to have some neighbors and kind of a new, uh, new neighbors across the street, new stories to learn. Something good can come out of Jackson. Have hope. Something good can come out of First Baptist Church of Jackson. You know, I see the glimmers of people being excited and being hopeful about possibilities and being excited about new, fresh things that God might do in each of our lives. 
And one of my favorite things has been so far to, to hear people's stories. And that's something I want to continue to do and continue to learn more of everyone's stories. But God has been at work in your life. God is continuing to be at work in your life. And God will continue in the future. And so I'm excited. I think that things like the Blessing Box and the personal care ministry and things that are starting to spring forth more recently are signs of what God can do here. And so something good can come out of First Baptist Church of Jackson. Have hope. Something good can come out of those that we meet in everyday life. Some people it's easier to see the image of God in. Sometimes we have to work a little bit harder, but it's there. So whether it's somebody that you love or somebody that you just meet, something good can come out of those people. Have hope. And something good can come out of me and each of you. That's sometimes the hardest one uh, to be, to kind of silent your inner critic, to see that God can transform you, can uh, celebrate you, and that God is at work in your life and is inviting you to follow him every day into something new, into a new experience. So no matter how bleak, how desolate, how devastating, how pessimistic the world might be, there's hope. But don't take my word for it. Come and see.